And uh, Wednesday night when we came in, I had, I don't know, at least a half a dozen, maybe closer to a dozen people tell me, well, you're just a baby. I just want to say thank you because I don't get that very much anymore. So uh, God bless you. A couple of quick little things here I think you'd appreciate before we go to the Word. Uh, We're going to be going to Ezra, the third chapter, and and, uh, also 1 Kings 18. But... um, there was a little boy, and he said, uh, and this four-year-old little boy prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets, <laughs> as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> now, Violet, my four-year-old granddaughter, this, you know, last, this last week, we know it was Groundhog Day, Right? We were trying, uh, Bill, Bill Singletary and I were trying to figure out if the groundhog sees the shadow, then springs, or springs on the way, and if if he doesn't, then then he, if he doesn't see, okay. Well, Violet, my four-year-old, she was telling her mother, and they sent me the video. Said, she said, tomorrow is Grandpa Day. If a grandpa sees his shadow. Winter, winter will never end. I thought that was, that was great. Oh, I'm not sure if I shared this one, but if not, you may not have heard it. it said, one night Micah's parents overheard this prayer. Now I lay me down to rest and hope tomorrow I pass the test. If I should die before I wake, that's just one less test I have to take. Let's look at Ezra, the third chapter. Thank you once again for being here, and thank you for all the gifts and the love. Father, we just love you, and Lord, just so grateful for your goodness and your mercy. And ask, Lord God, that you would speak to our heart, God, and let us leave this house greatest awareness of the gift that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want, I want to go ahead and read both both sections of, of scripture today, Ezra 3, and then we're going to jump over to uh, 1 Kings 18. It says, early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose, with a unified purpose. The Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, joined the fellow priest in Zerubbabel, the son of Sethiel, with the family, in rebuilding the altar. So what was their unified purpose? It was rebuilding the altar of God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, They rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. Now look with me, if you will, to 1 Kings 18. Start with verse 30. Are you there? Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. 
We'll jump down to verse 36. And it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell upon their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the book of Kishon and executed them there. I want you to look here. I want to talk to you today as we are continuing uh, with the understanding of community. Community, as I'm speaking about, that will affect this community and many other communities. But the community I've been talking about is the community of believers, the body of Christ. And just to break down the word of common unity, I want to speak to you this morning about what unifies us as believers in Christ, believers in Jehovah God. We could sum it up with just one word, and we even have that emblem hanging on the wall right now, and that would be the cross. That we understand that this is the message that we need to receive, and this is the message we need to convey. Paul said, I, I'm not, I don't brag in any other, any other thing but the cross. See, because like the old hymn was written at the cross, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It's the cross, church. Now, we look there at Ezra. In the book of Ezra, they were coming out of Babylonian captivity. Those of you that are reading through and discovering all kinds of things in the Word of God, you probably reached and passed over the point where where Israel had sinned repeatedly against God. They wouldn't keep the covenant. The Lord said, as long as you serve me, you're going to be blessed. And why wouldn't you serve me? But they wouldn't serve him. As Jesse was talking about this morning, it was just the continuation of this idol worship. And you're made to worship. You're going to worship something. You can take an individual, drop them in the remote parts of the world where maybe they don't have the convenience of, of, of modern amenities, and you'll discover there's going to be some altars built, and there's going to be some worship going on. Why? Because you're made to worship. You're going to worship something or someone. You're made to worship God through His Spirit, and you're made to worship Him in truth. But we see that Israel refused, and so God I've got to purge this out of them. I brought you forth as a covenant nation so that this covenant nation will reach a point where all other nations may come into the relationship with the God that you serve. And so to preserve you, I've got to purge this idolatry out of you. 
brought them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. After the Babylonian captivity, they make the return. Now, the temple of God had been decimated, destroyed. The walls had been torn down. And now Ezra is leading a group in, and it's the first order of business to rebuild the house of God. There is the first order of business. It should be the continual order of business. It should be the ongoing order of the, of the, of the church and of the, the temple and those who are worshiping. You've got to go rebuild the altar. Now, we liken the altar to prayer, which is a good, a, a good reference, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. We see here, both in 1 Kings and also in Ezra, there was an offering made, and you notice the reference in Ezra and in 1 Kings, it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, as a Bible student, we are to pick up on these things. We're to look at that and say, okay, what is, the, what is this pointing to? What is it a reference of? Why would, he, why would the Lord put that in the word as so specific as to declare it's the time of the evening sacrifice? You back up a little bit and you look in the law. In the law, each and every day, there would be a morning sacrifice and there would be an evening sacrifice. At 9 a.m. in the morning, there was a sacrifice. At 3 p.m. in the afternoon, there was a sacrifice. Repeatedly, over and over and over. Should, be, should have been done day after day after day after day. First Kings, we'll get to in a few minutes, but we see in First Kings... How that Israel, before captivity, turned away from God, and there was Elijah the prophet. He came to rebuild, to repair the altar. Is it an altar of prayer? Yes, it can be an altar of prayer, but it's more than an altar of prayer. It's the reason we get to pray. It's the purpose in why we pray. So, if you get into the New Testament, you see how that in the Old Testament, a lamb was sacrificed in the morning and a lamb was sacrificed in the evening. A lamb in the morning, a lamb in the evening. Now, we have John baptizing in the Jordan. He's looking for someone. He is searching for someone. Because he has instruction of the Spirit. To go down to the Jordan and to baptize. There's a new movement going on in Israel. It's called a baptism movement. Get them out there. Start baptizing. Some believe, theologian historians believe, that there could have been upward of 2 million people that John himself had, to, had baptized. And his disciples. 2 million. But he's looking. Nope, you're not the one. Nope, you're not the one. Nope, you're not the one. <laughs> show, me, show me fruits of repentance and then I'll baptize. <laughs> we, we don't want a bunch of wet sinners in the baptistry tank. <laughs> we want those who have been cleansed by the blood. And the, the water is just a public declaration that I'm, I'm dead and now I'm raising again with Jesus. <laughs> so you're dead and you're, you're up. You're dead and you ain't the one. You ain't the one. Then he looked and said, behold. 1,500 years we've been looking for you. Every morning and every evening. 
Behold the Lamb of God. And when he baptized him, and when he came up, he looked up and the heavens opened. The voice came from heaven. The dove descended. Behold my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one that Gabriel had gone to Mary and said, you're going to have a son, and he will be for the sacrifice, and he will take care of the sins of the world. He's the one. He's the one. Now, we have the declaration of the Lamb. But it's not by accidents or coincidence that Jesus was nailed on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. And he declared his final words on the cross to Telestai, it is finished. 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Every morning and every evening. What are we looking for and what are we looking to? What does that altar represent? It represents the cross in which Christ was crucified. And we look at this, we see that there had something had happened in Israel. They refused to turn away from this false image worship. So much so, the Lord said, I've got to purge this. But I'm going to bring them back. And when I bring them back, they're going to build me a house. And in that house, I'm going to dwell. And in that dwelling place, I will meet with them there upon that mercy seat. I will meet with them there. But before we get the house built, we got to get the message clear. We've got to get the message clear. We've got to resurrect the message of the cross. The first order of business, church. And if we don't have the altar, we don't have the cross, then we're nothing more than a convenient group of people who maybe enjoy each other's company, which I enjoy your company. But if we don't have the cross, we don't have anything. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Glory of the Lord. Paul said it this way, the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. That's why Paul could say in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me 
And he gave himself for me. Do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. See, there's an unfortunate reality that has crept into the modern church in the West, if you will. And it is a gospel of self-improvement. It's, um, I'm going to tantalize your intellect. I'm going to give you the formulation for a, a better means by which you may live a better version of yourself. A, a better version of all you've got to do is come to the altar and just say a prayer. No requirements, no, no, nothing of any substance or value is, is going to be warranted from you. You just got to say this prayer. And once you say that prayer, now you're free to go and do as you please. And when we come to the end of your days, we will put you in the ground and we will declare they came and said the prayer and they made it in. Hallelujah. They're with Jesus. They live like the devil's hell. They abuse their body. They wreck their their relationships. They did all these things. But yes, they're in the presence of God. It's a lie. It's a bald face lie for the enemy. I told you Wednesday night, and I'm going to say it again. The validity of your Christianity. Are you a Christian? Validate your Christianity. How would I validate my Christianity? Behavior. If I haven't had a change in my behavior, that I haven't had a change in my nature. Because only when my nature's changed does my behavior begin to change because my belief systems change. And until my belief systems change, my behavior is never going to change. But once my behavior, but once my beliefs begin to change about who Christ is and who I am, then all of a sudden now my, my behavior begins to change because I'm a different creature than I was. And behold, all things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Christ Jesus. So I don't want anyone in the sound of my voice to walk out of this place with a, with a pseudo sense of security. Security and peace. If you are living like the devil, you belong to the devil. And it's only if you live according to the will of God you can validate yourself as a Christian before God. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend, you're sleeping with your girlfriend out of wedlock. If you're peering in the night and you're looking at things that are corrupting your body and your relationships. And folks, let me tell you, you need a checkup from the neck up. You need your head screwed on straight. You're not going to make it. if You've never been changed. Because once you're changed, you are ruined forever to be in the same center that you came out of. Can't do it. You might try, but it's going to be like, oh my. God, I can't do this. Why? Because there's this overwhelming sense of conviction that comes on me. And the more you learn to hide in the house of God with your sin, the greater danger you are in, the greater danger to set 
under the anointing of God's Spirit and the compulsion of God's Spirit and to believe that you've got some separate set of rules that you can go by that doesn't bring any glory to the Lord. It's a lie from hell. I feel the urgency of the hour. I feel an urgency in this day that you cannot live in this place of of pseudo-security. We need holiness in the house of God. We need H-O-L-Y in the house of God. And you cannot have H-O-L-Y until you have W-H-O-L-E-Y. Is that L-L-L-L-Y. Now you remember that. But see, <laughs> gotta ring you back in. Don't spell anymore. So I can't sing and I can't spell. You bunch of legalists. <laughs> I live under grace. I do what I want. No. I had a crushing news came to me this week. A friend of mine that I served in ministry with. No longer in ministry. Thirty-five year marriage destroyed. I mean effective, anointed, godly leader. Couldn't stop looking at what he wasn't supposed to be looking at. Couldn't stop searching the website. Lost his church, lost his ministry, lost his marriage. I venture to guess lost relationship with his children, his grandchildren. All for a little momentary, woo-woo, look at this. Some fake relationship. Don't tell me sin doesn't cost. Don't tell me it doesn't destroy How many souls could have been brought into the kingdom of God, but someone didn't understand that when you died with him, that means you were left in the grave with him, and you cannot live resurrected. It doesn't mean that you may not make mistakes. It doesn't mean that he can't find forgiveness. But I don't want you to give up your ministry and your calling because you can't stop looking at something because you believe that your desires are stronger than the power of God. It's not stronger than the power of God, nor is it stronger than the vision and the purpose of God. Let it go. So we have here a need to rebuild the altar. I believe we have in our modern world today the equivalent need if not more so, to rebuild the altar. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message that God wants us to declare. See, because when that altar is destroyed, and the meaning of the altar was destroyed, the only thing that is left 
is captivity. See, when I came into the relationship with Jesus Christ, just as many of the folks that are in this room, I didn't come into bondage. I stepped straight into freedom. <laughs> and all I'm doing is learning how to live in freedom. Learning how to live in the reality of what Christ has done. I don't have to tear down the walls, Keith. I can walk through them. Think about it. As he is, so are we in the world. I don't have to march around Jericho. Jericho's walls are falling. And if I find a wall, I just do like Jesus. Just walk through that wall. <laughs> Amen. It's so much better. A lot less tiring. <laughs> just walk through it. Some of you are getting what I'm saying. Some of you are like, what? <sighs> study your Bible. Study your Bible. What happens when the altar is torn down? What happens when the message of the cross is not enough? It, 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 what happens when, when we lean on something that's different than the message of God? It's not entertaining enough. It's not desirable. It's antiquated, outdated. It's a bloodbath religion heard all this stuff. You know what my concern is? We're trying to take fresh bread, stuff it into dead mouths. What do I mean? I mean, it's like, open up, here comes the choo-choo. We take, the, we take the, the green beans and we just saturate them in sugar. Come on, it's good to the taste. Open up. Here comes the little choo-choo. I'm just wiping the food off the beards of the babies because they're trying to stuff food into the corpse because there's no hunger. There's no desire. Shouldn't have to beg people to read the Word of God. Shouldn't have to convince you that it is the bread of life. Shouldn't have to declare to you, you can do it. Open up. Get the, get the chisel and the crowbar and pry that dead jaw open. Stuff it for the bread of life. Close it up. It's never going to digest. Why? Because you're dead. This is not going near the direction I thought it was going to. <laughs> it tells me that God is speaking to someone and that this is an imminent message for your situation. If you're offended, I am so glad. I am so glad. Because you have been comforted long enough. You've been comforted long enough. 
You need to face the fact that the reality, don't wait till the next funeral before you come up there, before you're faced with eternity. Eternity's now. It's in the heart of man. God has put it there. You can't, you can't afford to continue in the path that you're on. I wish I could scare you into the kingdom of God. I would show up at your house every night about 3 a.m. at the witching hour, and I would scratch on your screens. I would bang on your windows. I would get some evil mask, and I would run through your house if I I could get in there if I could scare you I would but it didn't work it has to be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit speaking the message into your life where you get so disgusted with who you are why did it take such such destruction in my life before I ever get to the place to decide I don't want to do that anymore I'm tired of being the captive of the enemy I'm ready to come out of this sin I'm tired of destroying myself I'm tired of destroying my body I'm wrecking my relationship and that sin is in the, re, the consequence of sin is the very grace of God that draws you to the Lord saying there's a better way there's a better way come, come, come now I, I know I should know this and I did kind of know it what was Andrew was teaching this morning the Holy Spirit spoke to me for the reason Christ was crucified. He said, because the only means of salvation is total surrender to lordship. And they're never going to come to me if I ask of them what I will not give of myself. I'm not asking for all of them and I'm holding back part of me. I'm asking for what the Lord would call an equitable exchange. All of me for all of you. But Lord, my sacrifice is not even equivalent. But I consider it equitable. All of me for all of you. And then there's this supernatural convergence where now we're not separate entities. Now I'm in Him, He's in me. Stop looking for you. You're gone. Chicken bone gone. Gone. Start looking for him. Where? In here. In here, in my life. Now, wait a minute. I'm doing what I couldn't do before. Wait a minute. I'm thinking like I didn't think before. Wait a minute. I'm seeing what I couldn't see before. See, because as long as I was worshiping the false image, I had ears, but I couldn't hear. I had eyes, but I couldn't see. I had a mouth, but I couldn't talk. I had feet, but I couldn't walk. 
because I trusted in what I could see. But now I'm seeing something totally different. Wait a minute. Is this what the Lord was talking about? Life and life more abundant? Oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about the fact that, hey, I tell you what, don't preach to me a gospel that doesn't take you out of sin. Don't preach to me a gospel that doesn't take sin out of you. Don't tell me that I'm okay when I'm not okay. I don't want to keep drinking alcohol. I don't want to keep smoking dope. I don't want to keep snorting coke. I don't want to keep those elusive thoughts that keep destroying my life. I don't want to live in bondage. If you want to live in bondage, then you need to check yourself at the door. You lose the desire because your desires have changed. Because you have been changed. I'm probably going to show the youth Wednesday night. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. My mother bought me a, do we still do eighth grade graduation? Anybody went to an eighth grade graduation? I didn't make it. I made it to the seventh grade and I quit. I just kidding. <laughs> Reserve this spot right here for my wife. We had an eighth grade graduation. My mother gave me what I didn't realize, but it was most precious gift she could give me. She gave me a Bible. I had the box. And, uh, no, I didn't have the box. No, I put it in a different box. So I had a bookshelf in my room. I'd set it on my bookshelf and I'd open it up. I'd look at it. Oh, that's good. Put it back. It stayed there for the next several years. I always had it. It was there. But see, I had no hunger. It meant nothing to me. Why? Because I want to party. People say that the reason why you want to party is because you're trying to cover up stuff. I ain't covering up nothing, man. I'm here for the ride. <laughs> for a good time. Not a long time, but a good time. It's going to help me all the way to the end. So, <laughs> it just stayed there. Until that road of that sin brought such devastation into my life. It was destroying everything of value. It was, I was self-destructing. So we started going to church. Big mistake. Big mistake. If you want to stay in sin, don't go to church. So we go to church. And this preacher gets up there, and I think, this dude is going to eat me. You ever felt that way? Some of you are feeling that way right now. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not my taste. <laughs> he get right up on me, and I'm like, golly, get away from me. Till finally, that word started getting beyond my head and into my heart, started going to work on me. Those messages that kept being saturated by the anointing just kept penetrating my heart. Until I went home one night, 7-Eleven Jefferson Street in Bowie, Texas, and Andrea's 
eight months pregnant with Lainey, and I'm, we're laying there in the bed, and I am so tormented, and I'm, I'm, I'm demonized, and I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling with the Lord, and I finally get to the place, and I said, oh, God, I, I finally begin to understand it. I hated my life. I hated what sin had done to me. I hated what I was doing to myself. I hated the relationships that I was destroying, and I said, oh, God, if you want to save me, then kill me, and he did just that. He killed the old Mike Sanders and he saved me in a moment and my life was forever changed. And I got up that next morning and it was like the sun is brighter, the great burden had lifted. And then I began to learn how to live for God. And the first thing, Keith, I reached for was that Bible that my mother had bought. And I had wore that sucker out. In fact, the pages fall off. Every page has been written on the cover and the binding. Why? Because that bread became my life and that message of the cross was established and now I don't want to go back to captivity and so I'm going to keep that message clear. It is the first and foremost important part of my life because without that nothing else is going to matter You can be involved in the church and in ministry. And there's a day of grace right now that we're in. And you can walk with this pseudo peace that delays denial. That God winks at my sin. And I'm okay because he's letting me continue in this path. Folks, let me prophesy to you. It's already begun on a national level. It's going to continue. God is going to sanctify his church and his people wholly. He's going to cleanse his threshing floor. He is purifying his bride who is going to be spotless and ready to meet him. He is a holy God and you cannot be holy unless you are wholly given to him. So I'm asking you today, if you're living in sin, get to the altar and ask God for forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but transformation out of the old life into the new. Because just because you said a prayer doesn't make you saved. If I stand in the garage, it doesn't make me a car. I'm a car, I'm a car, I'm a car. You're not a car. We live in an environment, in a, in a society that you can come into this world and you can declare who you are. That is not truth. It is a distortion of truth. You're who God is meant for you to be if you are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to get to that other half of the scriptures. I was looking for encouragement, but I didn't get any. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There are people, friends, 
loved ones that have literally begged to come to God, begged him. Please turn. Please turn. Please turn to God. Do it. My best friend in all the world. We were so close. We were like brothers. Until I accepted Jesus and he didn't. I didn't have to separate from my friends. They separated themselves. And I go to him. It's James. Please, please consider Christ. Please. Come on, man. I tried to scare him. I tried to passionately just give him every presentation I could because I loved him and I knew where he was going because we were thick as thieves and we walked together and I knew what was the end of the road and it's just like, James, come on, come on. James is in eternity today and he's not in heaven. He gave no indication, zero indication that he ever made heaven. He died in a drunken car wreck. He not only killed himself, he killed another person that was with him driving home from a bar in the middle of the night. No indication. There wasn't a moment to say, Lord, forgive me as you drive off into eternity. And he will never ever, ever cease to exist. He will never escape the torment that he's in right now. Because somewhere in his life, either the generation before him and the generation before him or some other generation or it never was erected to begin with there was not a message of the cross it had no relevance it was foolishness to him i don't know who this message is for but i know you're in here i know you're in here i know you're in this place and you've been purposed to be here right now at this moment to hear this message to say the Father loves you so much that he gave his son for you that you would not perish but have everlasting life it's his love that compelled him if you are to that point and if you're not don't come down here says an escape ticket from hell If you're at a place right now and you're like, I am so sick of my life. I am tired of living this way. I'm sick to death of it. I'm ready for a change. Then this invitation is for you. Where's Joseph? Joseph, I'm just going to have you come up on the keys today. Where's Joseph? Oh, he's like, in the show. That was stealthy. Thank you. I want you to stand in this room.
There's no big eyes and little U's out there. There's no piercing eyes of anger or hatred or disdain. Get all that out of your head. This is a message of love. This is a message to say, God wants you to live in eternity with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But he's not just looking to get you out of hell. He's got something for you today. He wants you to know him and to make him known. I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to plead with you. I'm not going to beg you. I'm just going to ask you, are you ready? Come to that place of surrender. To let go. To let go of your old life. And start living the life you were meant to live. It comes to it. We've got to come to the altar, the cross, and ask for the Lord's forgiveness. Ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Commit your past, present, and future to him. This is your day. Step out of your seat. Meet me here. I want to introduce you to your Savior. Come on. Come on. Come on right now. Come on. Come on right now. Come and meet with the Lord right now. God will give you the strength that you need to live the walk that, that you need to live. Say right here. Just here. Come, come on. There's more. There are more in here. The Lord said, cast the net again. Cast the net again. You're out there right now. Come on. Come on. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. God's waiting on you saying, come on. The, the door's open. I'm welcoming you in. This is it. This is it. Come on. Come on. Time for change. It's time for change. You're tired of being... Fake when it comes to religion. Well, God's tired of it too. Let's be real. Come on, let's surrender. No more fake. No more plastic fruit. Come on. Come on. Come on.